Hey guys, you sounded, uh, sounded awesome tonight. You can tell it's still early in the semester and you guys are on, you know, you're excited about having a, a day off tomorrow because you're singing with the gusto that you don't have when it's finals week, honestly, okay? So it's, it's, it's good to be here and, and feed off of your energy uh, a little bit. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Dan. I'm one of the, the pastors here on staff at the church and I'm part of the, the speaking rotation here at Connection with Josiah, who's sitting back there, the director of uh, University Ministries and the old guy, Bob. Uh, so, you know what? I, I'm feeling old uh, nowadays, and I know I'm boring. And those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand, but I'm both. I'm old and I'm boring. Uh, and just to prove my point, what did you guys do this weekend? Did you do anything fun? Any cookouts? Well, you raised your hand. What did you do? Beach. That's the perfect Labor Day weekend thing to do, right? Beach cookouts, parties. I went shopping for cars with my family. That was the highlight. Uh, and it was an experience. I took my three boys. They're the most interesting thing about me, honestly, my three boys, and my wife, and we went car shopping to the, you know, the hotbed of all things awesome, Martinsville. Uh, and, you know, we just had, it was actually kind of fun. But we had three very different agendas in this car shopping experience. My three boys, they're 12, 9, and 7. Uh, what they're looking for is cool. And you know, so we had to tell them, no, a Dodge Viper is not at all practical for us as a family. It's not going to happen ever, ever. They're like, oh, but we can ride on the hood. No, it's not going to work, you know. So they're looking at cool, and we eventually talk about, you know, Vipers and Challengers and Corvettes, and we start looking at real cars for us, and they're still, they're looking at the cool stuff. You know, how many little trap doors does it have for me to hide my toys and MP3 players? And does it have a DVD player? And, okay, my oldest son is now starting to think, in three and a half years, I'll be driving the car. Is this something I want to drive to school? You know, is this something I want to go on a date in? Uh, so he's thinking along those terms, and the minivans are out now, right? So we've got to have an SUV, because that's cooler. Uh, my wife is on a different page. She's looking for something that's practical. And so she's thinking about the color of the carpet. And you know, a light tan, that's going to get ruined real quick with baseball cleats and kids. Uh, you know, orange slushies and you know, all that kind of stuff. And she's thinking, okay, how are the kids actually going to get in and out of this? Are they going to have to climb over each other? Me, I'm on a different page yet. I'm thinking about the truly important things. You know, fuel economy. Uh, how much is it going to cost to insure? I, is it reliable? How much can I sell it for in five, six, seven years? Uh, so di very different things that we're looking for. We didn't find it, so it's going to be you know, weeks and weeks of looking. But as I was preparing for this message this week, I was looking at a passage of Scripture. We're doing this series called Rediscovering Jesus. And we're going back and thinking about Okay, how do we strip away all the, the misperceptions and just the layers of, of stuff and get back to the text and, and rediscover Jesus? And we invite you to actually, I know Doug told you to take out your phones, but as I'm talking, if, if something sparks a question, text us the question, and, and in a little bit, the three of us are going to come up here and just take whatever questions you've texted in. Um, and it can have to do with a message or something not quite irrelevant, but, you know, don't ask me about cars. I don't really know that much. Um, but you can text in questions. But as I was thinking about this 
talk tonight, and the passage that I'm going to be looking at, it's from John chapter 1, I thought, you know what? This passage is cool. I, I mean, it's like mind-blowing stuff. It is so cool, and it's practical. It, it's going to be stuff that you're going to want to take and think about tomorrow as you're, well, tomorrow you're not in class, but Tuesday when you're in class, or tonight when you go back to your dorm, or as you're wrestling through the semester and the, and the stuff that's going to come your way. So it's cool, and I want to show you how it's cool, and it's practical, and it's incredibly important stuff. So let's start with the cool, okay? We're only going to look at one verse tonight, and it's John chapter 1. If you have a Bible, if you're not, you could grab one in front of you. There, there's some in the chairs. John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, this is what John says. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, you know when you're watching a movie and you see a really cool part, you, you rewind it to watch it again? Okay, I do. Um, or a highlight, you rewind it and watch it again? We're, we're going to read that again, okay? Chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John takes a few things here, and he combines them in such a way that, again, it's just mind-blowing. The Word. A couple of weeks ago, in Sunday morning, Pastor Bob was preaching from John chapter 1, the earlier part, and he explained why this is such an appropriate title for Jesus. The Word. It's a phrase that's unique to John, a title for Jesus that is unique to John, but he's taking a, a title, a concept, that was so meaningful, both to the Hebrew portion of his audience and the Greek. It, it's just one of those terms that's so loaded with meaning. In the Hebrew mind, the word became almost a shorthand for referring to God. It was his power. It was his wisdom. It was his his activity that was, he, by which he accomplished his will. And it became almost synonymous with God himself. Of the Greeks, it was this kind of unmoving reality. It was the concrete stuff behind the stuff that's in flux all the time. And John is taking that concept and he's saying, it's better than you even know. It's better than just this static reality. It's better than just this power of God. It's a personality. And he says, in the beginning, this is John chapter 1, the early part, in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word's eternal. He says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of everything. Before there was anything, in the beginning of that was the Word. And He was with God. So there's a way of distinguishing between God the Father and the Word. But you can't completely separate them because the Word is God. There's this unity and distinctiveness between the Word. He's with God and He is God. And John goes on in the chapter, he says, everything that's been created has been created by Him. By Him 
his activity. He isn't part of the created order. He created it all. And the word became flesh. Uh, The word didn't just show up in a pillar of fire or a cloud of smoke or a burning bush. Uh, God had shown up in the history of the world in, in different theophanies, different appearances, and they were incredible to read about in the Old Testament. But this is different. This isn't just a burning bush that's here and then gone. This isn't a God speaking out of a cloud on Mount Sinai. Uh, the Word became flesh. This is just utterly unique. Among all religions, God becoming flesh. The closest thing you can get is the Hindu idea of avatars. God's sometimes putting on a, a flesh suit, in a way, and, and coming and accomplishing some purpose, and then taking off the flesh suit and going wherever Hindu gods go. They put it on kind of like a garment, and then take it off like a garment. That's not what John's saying. It's way better than that. The eternal God, the Word, becomes flesh. Not just seems to be man. The, the church in the early days said, no, you can't say he just seemed to be man. He was truly born, truly lived as a man. So when you read through the Gospels, you see all the same kind of stuff that we experience, he experienced. He got tired. Uh, he needed to eat. He needed to sleep. He could die. He truly was Man, the eternal God, became incarnate. He became in the flesh. And John says, and he dwelt among us. John is one of those masterful writers because the word he picked there is he tabernacled among us. He's going back to the Old Testament and he's saying, you remember that thing that we constructed in the wilderness? This portable temple made out of poles and tent kind of material. And God came and he descended there and he dwelt there with us. And wherever we went, we took the tabernacle with us and God went with us. Yeah, that's what Jesus is. He's God in the flesh tabernacling with us. And we've seen his glory. When the people of Israel first erected the tabernacle, this large, gigantic, portable temple tent, God's glory came and descended on the temple, on the tabernacle. And John's saying, that's what's happening in Jesus. The eternal word becomes flesh. He dwells among us. He tabernacles with us, and we see his glory. Again, that, if you can think of a cooler thing, come and find me, okay? That is just cool. But it's practical, too. Um, not everything that's cool is practical, right? But this is. You remember that kid, and you guys ever see the Jerry Maguire movie? The kid who just had all these random facts, you know, the human head weighs seven pounds. 
cool. What do I do with that? <laughs> you know? uh, this isn't one of those facts. This is something that changes us. Have you ever felt small? Kind of insignificant? You know, science is helping us understand the universe that we live in. Astronomy especially is just one of those sciences that blows my mind. I mean, I can't get my mind to wrap around numbers like billions and billions and trillions and light years beyond me. You know, when you think about the millions of miles between us and the sun and the expanse of our solar system, something like two light years, and I don't even remember how many miles is in a light year. You guys probably know better than I do. And then our galaxy is made up of at least 500 known solar systems bigger than ours. And there's 200 billion stars in our galaxy and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of galaxies in the known universe. You're like, unbelievable, the expanse of this place. And here we are on the third rock from the sun, this insignificant little ball, and we're tiny. And it's easy to begin to feel lost in the bigness of it. Maybe it's easy to feel lost in the bigness of Indiana University. Or lost in just the, the expanse and the, the possibilities. And the, but the incarnation, the infleshedness of God says, you know what? Humanity might be small in size, but it's huge in significance to God. That he would take on flesh affirms the goodness of our existence, of our infleshed existence, of humanity. It's not something irrelevant to God. It's not something bad to God. It's not something that God wants us to escape. God comes and he redeems it by taking it on and becoming flesh. So as you go through the semester and you feel lost as just another number at Indiana University, remember, the incarnation says something about not just humanity's significance, but your individual significance. And it reminds us that God isn't a God who can't understand our struggle and our difficulties and our existence and even our pain. He became flesh so that he can become sympathetic with us. I'm assuming at some point in your life, you've struggled with disappointment. I think Jesus probably was disappointed at times when he preached the message and people rejected it. I think sometimes this semester, you'll hit a wall and you'll feel absolutely at your end, you're exhausted, you can't go on. Jesus felt that too. He said, I can't be with crowds right now. I need to go get alone and get some space. And I remember college, at times there was just periods of real loneliness. There's people all around me, but I'm not with anybody. I feel alone. Yeah, I think Jesus felt that too. God in flesh understands all the struggles, all the difficulties that you go through. You have what the Bible says, a, you have a sympathetic high priest. 
you can take all those concerns and you know not only is he listening, but he's empathizing, he's sympathizing, he knows, he's felt it before. That's practical. That means that when you're struggling, you've got an ear and it's not just a friend that, uh uh-huh, 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 it's God. So it's cool and it's practical and it's incredibly important. Maybe you think practical and important are exactly the same thing. They're not always. Something can be really practical, but not necessarily that important. Like black carpet in a car, really practical, but a lot less important than if the car runs right. The doctrine of God in the flesh, incarnation, is cool, practical, and the most important truth I can think of. It's not hyperbole to say that with Without the incarnation, there would be no salvation. No possibility of salvation. God understands that there's there's a gigantic chasm between us, not just as sinful human beings, but us as created beings, and him as the infinite creator. But he determines to cross that chasm and become flesh. Become creator and, in the person of Jesus, part of the created. He he crosses that chasm for us, becoming one with us, so that he can take on for us our sin, our guilt, our shame, our pain, and crucify it on the cross. And live for us in righteousness, in holiness, in right relationship with God, and give that to us too. That's all dependent on the incarnation, the truth of God being truly God, of Jesus being truly God, and truly one of us. You know, here at ECC, we have a a vision statement for what we're all about. Josiah actually referred to it in the beginning. Here at ECC, we, we want to be extending the redeeming grace and the transforming truth of Jesus in this college town. Those aren't words we just thought, oh yeah, that sounds good. We'll pick those up. They come actually right out of John 1.14. Jesus comes and he's full of grace and full of truth. He, he doesn't despise our humanity. He comes and connects with it. He takes it on. He doesn't even despise our sinfulness. He says, even in that, I'll step close. He steps into our space in grace. It's undeserved, but he steps in to bring us out. He steps in to change it, to redeem it for God. Comes full of redeeming grace and transforming truth. Jesus is the perfect image of God, and so he reveals perfectly the kind of God that God is. You know, there's this great story in the Old Testament. Moses is talking to God, and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, well, the best I can do is to hide you in this rock, and I'll, and I'll pass by, and you can see kind of the backside of my glory. And Jesus, or God goes by, and he says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, slow to anger, full of grace and mercy and truth, faithfulness. John's picking up on that. He says, he's full of grace and truth. No one's ever seen God, but we see him in Jesus. He's the perfect image. He reflects God and reveals God 
perfectly. But as a man, he also responds to God perfectly. He's the perfect revelation of God and the perfect response to God. He steps in and where God speaks, Jesus offers for us the perfect amen, the perfect obedience to all God has called us to be. So he reveals God, but he also reveals what we ought to be and what we can be and what we will be in Jesus, in the completeness of God's plan. He offers perfect revelation of God and the perfect response to God. And he does it as a man. He does it for us. John 1.14 takes these two truths that seem just almost incompatible. Deity and humanity. And he says, in Jesus, neither were diminished, neither were confused, neither were altered, but they come together the union of these two natures in one person, eternal word, becomes flesh. I'm really looking forward to this semester and rediscovering Jesus and stepping in and seeing how he reveals God perfectly and how he reveals God's will for us perfectly. He'll do it in what he does, his miracles. He'll do it in how he teaches, in the parables. He does it on the cross, and he does it even now in relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. I'm really looking forward to journeying through this rediscovery of Jesus with you guys, and I hope you stick with us and invite your friends to come along uh, and rediscover this, this Jesus that, man, we never know completely, but we can know truly. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Bob and Josiah to come up and, and kind of field some questions that you guys might have texted in or you can just ask, kind of put us on the spot too. That's, that's fine. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you didn't keep us and our humanity at a distance, but you stepped into it in your son, Jesus. You didn't despise the womb. You stepped into it. You became a friend to sinners. You came full of grace and full of truth. And you've invited us to come and discover who you are. Come and find life. Come and find truth. Come and find grace. We thank you for it. We pray that you and your spirit will guide us in this journey. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. All right, what questions we got, Josiah? Hey, I have to say right up front, I'm waiting for a call from the pizza guy, so... (laughs) My wife had my phone in the back so she could go meet him. But if he calls, I've got to pick this up. <laughs> so there's your, there's your warning. Um, we have a few questions, but first, I need to mention, last week's message was called Setting the Record Straight. And in Setting the Record Straight, I need to ask Dan, what CD is in your car right now? What's playing? Do you really want to know? Yeah, let me know. Uh, disc one of the Metallica Garage CD. This guy is cool. Don't let him fool you. He's a metalhead if there ever was one. And Dan was also disciplined in college for putting a roadkill dead animal in a fellow dorm member's fridge. So this guy's nuts. Um, moving on. I've lost all credibility now. I? 
Yeah. We have some good questions. Please continue to uh, text them in. Do you think God is sympathetic to us or for us? Or is there a difference? And if so, does this weaken how others view him in the outside world? Do you think God is sympathetic? Yes and yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think he is sympathetic towards us because, I mean, to use the reference that you used, that he sympathizes with our weakness, right? So he understands our humanity. He knows how difficult it is to be who we are because he was who we were, right? So I think there is sympathy going on in God. But I think he's also for us. That's a theme, as a matter of fact, that theologian Martin Luther used a lot. He said it's God for us, right? So it's, it's God for us, with us, our champion, the person who really is there for us. Um, yeah, I think both. But what was the third part of that question? Do you think that weakens how people who aren't believers view him, the fact that he's sympathetic? Well, I'm sure anything that we say about God as Christians could uh, be perceived as a weakness to those who don't believe. That's the first thing to note. Um, and it's something that you, you just have to embrace, right? Or to put it in the words of Paul, uh, the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe, right? So if you don't believe this, it just seems foolish. So any number of truths of the Christian faith are going to seem foolish to others. So sure, I'm sure it does seem like that. At times, of course, I don't believe it is, but I can see how some people would accuse you of that. Yeah, maybe the question is coming from a, a slight misunderstanding of what I said, too. It's not that God says, oh, I know what it's like to be tempted and to fall into sin, and you're okay, I understand. Uh, he was sympathetic in the fact that he, as Jesus, uh, endured temptation. I mean, in the wilderness, before the cross, and yet he knew no sin. And so he can sympathize with how hard temptation can be and yet still not wink and nod and say, it's okay, just go ahead and sin. So I don't know that if it softens the understanding of God's holiness that he can sympathize with us and our weakness. This is, a, this is kind of a random question about the life of Christ, but it's been asked and I think it's important to talk about. Um, so we believe that Christ was sinless, so he never sinned, but we also believe that he was tempted. Um, so what type of sin do you think that Christ struggled with? And do you think that sexual sin was anything that was ever listed in Scripture as something that Christ struggled with? I don't think it's listed in Scripture as something he, he struggled with. Uh, the temptations that we know were presented to him were evading the will of God. You know, the will of God took him to the cross and I'm sure, you know, Garden of Gethsemane as it's approaching, he's tempted to step out of the perfect will of God into other and that's what Satan was tempting him with in the, in the wilderness, too. Uh, there's a shortcut, Jesus. Why don't you take the shortcut? Uh, but Scripture doesn't mention, at least, any kind of sexual temptation. Yeah, I, w I would say, just remember that passage again, to refer back to what Dan had said earlier, that he was tempted in yeah, all points like true. we were, yet without sin. Which basically means he's understood what it means to be tempted to be sinner, right? And sin comes in various forms. Sometimes you might say to yourself, well, okay, so I'm, sex I'm tempted sexually, so I have a problem with sexual sin. Well, maybe so, but maybe there's something behind that sexual sin, right? Maybe there's some other way or route by, by you know, the means through which this is expressed. Maybe there's something behind it. But I'll just say real crassly, I sure hope Jesus was uh, tempted by sexual sin because if he wasn't, he doesn't know what I'm like. Okay? He doesn't know where I lived. 
And uh, when, when it says that he understood us and was tempted like we were, I want to believe, and I think I'm correct, that he was tempted just like me with sexual sin. Because if he wasn't, he has no idea what the human condition's like. And everything about the scripture says that he has everything to do with the human condition and understands what it's like. So, His answer is better than mine. Go with that. Uh, any more questions? Yeah. If you could, I'm not quite... I was going to ask you to rephrase too, David. Go ahead. You're way smarter than we are. Yeah, I think it is as hearers and receivers, but it's also actually as proclaimers. Uh, not only do we hear and receive, but we're then in, told to go out and, and proclaim the word. And what you see in scripture is that God's word is always effective in accomplishing its purpose. Whether it comes through, it's one of the great promises that I know as teachers of the word we hold on to, that God's word is always effective in accomplishing its purpose. Whether or not I feel like I was effective, God's word is. So it was effective in creation, God spoke, and creation came into being. It's effective in the, the written and the preached word. Uh, and Jesus was perfectly, as the incarnate word, perfectly efficient in carrying out God's will and purpose. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question, but... Um, do you want... You know, oh, go okay. um, I don't know, David. Let me take a crack at this. I'll, I'll just tell you what I hear um, from what you're saying and what, um, what I think when you say it. Um, First is, I don't think I understand God or anyone without word, right? I don't understand you without word. I don't understand any of you guys without word. That's really part of the centrality, by, by the way, this gets off on a tangent, of our tradition. The evangelical reformation tradition is the center of things is the word, the preached word, right? So I don't think we understand hardly anything without word. So communication is incredibly important. So if God wants to communicate to us, he has a number of ways of doing it. He can do it through thunder and lightning and all kinds of variety of ways. But he could also do it through literal word. And Jesus is the most effective literal word that God ever spoke. So there's communication going on from God to us through Jesus that is profound, more than inspirational, but inspired and absolutely perfect. So that communication is absolutely perfect. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Yeah, I don't know if that's what you're after. But go ahead. Let me ask one more question before we finish things off here. Um, so if God is sympathetic to us, then why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? Yeah, a, a lot of times really awful things happen for a really good reason. And we're absolutely clueless as to the reason. And we will be. 
we often say, oh, well, it, it'll make sense down the road. Not always. Uh, but we hold to the promise that, that God is working things that even seem really bad and are really bad. They don't just seem bad. They are bad. God's working them for an eternal good in us. And again, Jesus understands that. The cross was a wicked, wicked thing that men did. And yet in God's plan, it was an incredibly good thing to redeem all of humanity. So it was a bad thing that happened to not just a good person, the perfect person, but it was God's plan for it to happen for an ultimate and eternal good. Um, and so Jesus can sympathize with that sentiment even, that this, I'm a good person, this is a bad thing that's happening to me. Um, that's a huge topic. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. It's called theodicy, and it's one of the biggest topics. Let me, uh, before I just say something about it, just let me refer you to one book that was more important for me on this topic than any other book I've ever read. It's called Making Sense Out of Suffering. Making Sense Out of Suffering. And it's written by a guy called Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T. And honestly, if this is a struggle that you want to wrestle with, I can't think of a better book. It's very well written, it's very accessible, and it's tremendously profound. Having said all that, let me remind you of something. Every bad thing that happens to you is not a bad thing that happens to you. You happen to be in the world and bad things happen. Okay? Sometimes our question about suffering and evil can be overly narcissistic. It's just about us. It's like, it's like the little kid who's saying, Daddy, why'd you let such and such, such and such? It's called growing up, kid, right? I mean, when I send my kids off to school, they go to school. And when they go to school, they encounter all kinds of problems. And every one of those problems, if I'm their father and I counsel them well, makes them a better person, right? It's just called life. So my suggestion, maybe a little bit of a, um, a pushback on the question is, don't think about it so personally, okay? Step back from it and realize that it's all about sin, right? Not just your sin, but the sinful world that we live in, right? There's chaos here. There's disorder here. There's a lack of peace here. There's violence here. There's all kinds of things here. And we happen to be walking right into the snares of it, and sometimes we're in the crosshairs of it, and sometimes we get hit. That's just life. The question is, how does God enter into life for us, right? That's the question you want to ask yourself whenever you enter into pain. Not, why did God let this happen? Well, God let this happen because you were born, right? God let this happen because stuff happens. The question is, where's God when I'm in the midst of all of this? Because that really helps me understand myself and God more fully. Um, but, man, that's a, that's a pretty limited question to a huge, uh, answer to a huge question. So, yeah. That, that's a topic that, as a matter of fact, we could just discuss sometime, you know, if we wanted to, right? We could just talk about that the entire evening uh, and have Q&A on that, and we'd be up for that. But mm -hmm. that, you know, Josiah is in charge of deciding what we're going to talk about. Says so. the philosopher, yeah. you know, yeah. we'd be up for that. Yeah. Uh, I'd also encourage you, we have office hours throughout the week, and that'd be a great time to talk about stuff like this. Uh, this week, since tomorrow's Labor Day, no one will be in the IMU tomorrow, but I'll be in the IMU Starbucks Wednesday. Uh, from 1 to 3, and I'd love to see you and, and chat a little bit more. And then the following week, uh, we'll be there as well on Monday and Wednesday from 1 to 3. So come and see us, and we'd love to chat. Let's continue in worship with one final song.
go ahead and stand with us as we continue in worship. Uh, you probably noticed.